email addresses. This is something that I harp on all the time. What you need to do is to simply sign up for a Gmail account and make it a professional account that you use for your job search applications and nothing else. Right. And that, that says, again, it says you're up to date. And it says that, you know, you know how to operate in the current environment. So that's one thing that is really important. We are looking forward our way. Hi, this is Brett, and I'm in 511 Studios, Studio C with Carol. How are you doing, Carol? Good, Brett. How are you today? Doing really good. You know, we've traditionally provided information tips and information on job searching for years in our other podcast programs. But you know, today we're in a whole new situation, pandemic workforce stagnation. We have our friend and supporter, Sharon Hammersley, to joining us today. Some of you may know Sharon as the resume coach. She generously provides job searching information to Central Ohioans in many formats, including working with local nonprofits and the libraries with various workshops and training programs. We have so many questions for her today. We do. We've got so much to discuss, Brett. It's amazing. You know, a loss of a job during a pandemic is incredibly scary. You just don't know where you're going to be going. Um, But there are employers hiring. So we are excited to welcome Sharon to our program today. Thanks, Carol and Brett. Um, I'm Sharon Hammersley, the resume coach, and I prepare job seekers for 21st century job search. Well, we're now 20 years into this century And I don't think any of us could imagine the circumstances that we find ourselves in today. My goal today is to provide you with information that helps you navigate these challenges as you search for your next job. I'm here to support you and give you a boost so that you can be successful and find that next opportunity. Absolutely. Okay, let's go ahead and get started. We are ready. So, Sharon, we're going to concentrate on tools. So we're going to cover questions on tools for job searching, things that we really need in order to have a successful job search in today's market. So let's start a discussion on resumes, which is a huge, huge discussion. Indeed, Um, We know that they need to be updated, but what are the really important pieces of information that should be included in your resume? Number one, and this is something I always emphasize, and nothing has changed about this, actually, Uh, You need in your resume to be focused on the employer's need and how your experience helps them. One way to do that is to focus on your accomplishments, not so much your job duties. Now, accomplishments are a little tricky. Basically, what they are is to describe how you have helped your employer meet goals, how you have fulfilled your job requirements, what, what have you done that's above and beyond your job requirements? And when you focus on your accomplishments, that helps the employer understand how you can help them. Next important point is the key words. What are some common terms in your industry? If you look at perhaps three to five job postings, you'll see a lot of words that are similar. You can just highlight those words, and those words need to be prominently displayed in your resume, especially at the top of your resume. We'll talk about uh, applicant trafficking systems, ATSs, in a few minutes, but I wanted to bring that concept up early just so that you're uh, aware of it. So, And then, above all, what are your transferable skills and how have you demonstrated them? Everybody can say they're a problem solver. But 
if that's nowhere in your resume and you say you're a problem solver, I think you have right. a problem. You really need to give some specific examples of how you solved problems in your resume in order to demonstrate that transferable skill. So, um, Sharon, you know, the, the first thing you mentioned was focusing on what the employer's needs are. And it, and that's the most important, but not always necessarily the first thing you know. After you look at your accomplishments, after you look at the keywords, after you, you are looking at your transferable skills and comparing those to that job description, then you, you know. You know how you can meet the needs of the employer. So I think that that's important for people to realize um, because if, if they are stymied by trying to focus on what the employer's needs are, they may not get to the other pieces, where if they have the other pieces, that first one's no big deal. You can do it. Yeah, and then you'll be really confident, and you can say in your resume right at the top, hey, Mr. and Ms. Employer, here's how I'm going to help you. Here's why you need to connect with me, and let's have a conversation. Right. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Thank you. So are there particular items which should be included or maybe not included on a resume for those experienced adults, like dates? Yes, Brett, dates are a huge issue for people. Um, One of the questions that I often get in my workshops is, how far back should I go on my resume? And generally today, best practice is to detail about the last 15 years or so of your employment. And one thing you shouldn't do right at the top of your resume is put in 25-plus years experience because that's a problem, actually, believe it or not. So if you go back 15 years in your experience, that's going to give the employer a good sense of what you offer, what your experiences are, what your skills are, and um, that's where you can really demonstrate to what your value is to to your next employer. So that's where you want to focus. Now, people say, but, you know, I've got, well, 30 years? Anyway, a lot of years of experience. Um, And I think they're all valuable. That's actually not true. The employer is looking for your recent experience because that's likely to include the skills and the experience that you have that is really important in whatever that next job is. I recommend that people simply give a list at the end of their experience section. They give a list of previous companies and positions, no dates, not how long you were there, any of that. And so the employer can see, yes, this person's been around a while, and they do have some early experiences, and maybe we'll talk about those. Uh, But it's really important to have those last 15 years. And some people will say, well, I was at the same company for 25 years. And I say, okay, so when you started at the company, did you start in your current position? And the answer is no. Right. So mm-hmm. what you can do then is to break down the last 15 years and your job titles and responsibilities for those last 15 years and just mention that you started at the company you were hired in at this level. And I think that really helps with the dates. And and that and that's a great message too yes. that you've moved up in in a company over a 25-year period of time. You just don't have to do the details. Yeah, the details are uh, are less important the farther back you go. So another thing that I see on resumes that really needs to go because basically I call it the 20th century resume is I still see folks 
putting a, an objective first. <laughs> I want to work for a company that yada, yada, where I can use my skills and yada, yada. And that is truly wasted space on your resume. Right. And it really says that you're not up to date with exactly. how things work nowadays. So your first, the first part of your resume is a short career summary or a description of what you have. And um, when we put out our skills, uh, when I put out my little packet of information, you'll see that there's some information there about how to format a resume for the current environment. So that that's something that you'll see. And, uh, and getting rid of those objective statements, as we have we haven't used those since the early 2000s, since the recession. Yeah, or even before that, yeah. you know. So, so, and the only contact information you need is your cell phone number and your email address. Now, email addresses, this is something that I harp on all the time because I see email addresses. Um, I saw one Yankees fan at, at hotmail.com. I'm like, um, you really don't want this on your resume. What you need to do is to simply sign up for a Gmail account and make it a professional account that you use for your job search applications and nothing else. Right. And that, that says, again, it says you're up to date. And it says that, you know, you know how to operate in the current environment. So that's one thing that is really important. So, And it's not really just the name, but it's also the carrier. Yes. So if you're still using an AOL account, you may want to consider doing Gmail, which is a free account. It's not a cost. But AOL is not only um, not utilized as much, but sometimes there are difficulties in um, – there are some um, survey, server companies that won't take – they won't accept AOL emails. That's a, that's a big problem, yeah. And it also shows if you have an AOL account and that's your primary account, you haven't actually entered the 21st century in, right. In, right. in terms of technology, or that's what it's saying about you, that's, that may not be true. We're going to talk a little bit more about technology later. But um, it's really, again, it's, it's saying I'm maybe not quite up to speed here, and that's the last impression you want to leave with an exactly. employer. So, exactly. So on the plus side, um, I do recommend including, in addition to your work experience, any significant volunteer experience mm -hmm. that you've had. Because I think that, first of all, it shows that you're community-minded, that you're, you want to be part of a community. And I think companies increasingly are aware that that's part of their brand, to be community-minded. And I, I think especially in this situation, just the fact that you want to be helpful to others because we're all kind of in this pickle together, mm -hmm. I think is really important. And actually, if you have been out of the workforce for any reason, a significant volunteer role can help to bridge that gap. That's, right. that's really important, I think, for people. Right. right. Oh, absolutely. And build a new skill. Yes, Exactly. Okay, so let's go on to our next question. And um, you had said we're going to do a little bit on, on technology. And so often employers have the um, misassumption that a, an older adult can't do technology. They refuse to do it. They don't want to do it. They're going to go at it kicking and screaming. But we have listeners right now who are online listening to this podcast, possibly on their phone or tablet or computer. 
So how can they prove their technological skills to a potential employer? Well, I think one advantage, if there's any silver lining in our current situation, is that you have a little bit of time to brush up on your tech skills or maybe even learn some new ones. So I will include some links in my in my um, document to, you know, where can I get free or low-cost technical skill training. So um, any training that you complete can and actually should be included in your education and training section. And here, a date is actually a good thing, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, in July of 2020, I completed an advanced Excel course. Uh, or actually, it even goes beyond training. Maybe you need to brush up on communication skills or anything like that. Um, just showing that you can access technology for training purposes, I think, is in and of itself a very good thing to do. Right. So, you know, and, and there are tons of resources out there now. So, you know, whatever training you need, especially around technology, new skills, brush up on current skills. And the second part of this is that most people have used some technology, some programs or apps, as we call them now, in their work. So you want to make sure that that is listed in your experience uh, what program, what app, at what level, and how often you used it. Right. So if if you used PowerPoint, you know, pretty much on a daily basis to design presentations, um, that's something that you need to feature, you know. It's significant, right? It's, it's very significant. If you are a power word user, that is, you know how to format very advanced documents, or a power Excel user where you can use pivot tables, um, those of you who use Excel know what I'm talking right. about. <laughs> um, um, that's something that should definitely be features as part of your experience. And that really speaks to the employer's concerns about, oh, um, mature workers just aren't up on technology. Because I think the honest truth of the matter is most of us are not in every area, but we've all used technology at this point, at some point in our jobs, and in a fairly significant one one of the things that clients used to say to me is they were afraid to put technology on their resume because they were afraid that an employer would assume they were experts. They never considered themselves to be experts. So they shied away from showing that they really had great skills. And, and they were literally doing that while they were showing me on their phone how they were getting apps and using our job list and all those other kinds of things that are really good skills to show that that they can do. And I think, too, it's also an issue of if you've learned one, you can learn another. You can keep pushing yourself. And so if you can show that you have some basis of something, an employer is going to realize that you're going to be able to use their systems, too. Yeah, you want to demonstrate that you are trainable. Exactly. You come in with a certain skill level. They expect that you have a certain skill level in a program, but also that you're a quick learner, and you can even put that on your resume. If you had to kind of pivot and learn something new sort of on the fly, because companies do this to their employees actually all the time. Right. 
then that's something that you can actually list as an accomplishment. I transitioned from System X to System Y, and we had to go live in four weeks. Yes, exactly. Which which sort of another point then is um, don't be afraid to tell an employer that you can do something, even if it's basic at a basic level, but also when you were mentioning to do that um, training yourself, get yourself into the mode of of learning new things, you're showing that employer your ability to learn because you can't go into a job expecting the employer is going to train you. They're going to give you, oh, do this, and you're on your own. Yes, pretty much. That's, mm. that's the way mm-hmm. things work nowadays. So mm. Excellent. Well, wrapping up resumes, you had mentioned a little bit earlier about this ATS friendly. Let's go back to that. And, and see what the, you know that, that means. And, and so we are putting our resumes together the right way. And anything else you need to, to cover as we you know, finish up the resume piece? Yes. So ATS, or Applicant Tracking System, is an important part of any online application. And it's pretty certain that you're going to be submitting many online applications. So we talked about keywords before. And those keywords need to appear at the top of your resume and then strategically throughout your resume. Now, some people say, oh, you can trick the ATS by doing this or that. Um, that's really not a good strategy. You know, you just want to make sure that your, your resume can be easily scanned by an ATS. And one thing I will say, most ATS systems nowadays uh, can process things beyond just simple text. Sometimes you'll see advice out there that says, oh, you have to have a text resume to upload to the ATS system. That's not necessarily the case anymore. You do want to make sure that if the uh, job posting says upload your resume as a Word document or as a PDF, that you follow those directions to the letter. That is very, very critical. So I I do uh, encourage people to include some graphic, some color in their resume so that they are visually attractive. Just make sure that all of those keywords that you need for the ATS to pick up, those are actually in your text. That that's the strategy that I recommend that people use nowadays. There there when ATS first started, there was a joke that people would put all the keywords that they could think of at the bottom of their resume and change the font color to white so they couldn't be seen on a hard copy piece of paper. And so they would send it thinking the machine will pick up all these keywords regardless. Well, what they didn't realize is that there's no guarantee when you send that resume that the the receiver of the resume isn't going to realize what you've done and 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 be able to see all that gobbledygook at the bottom of your resume. So it's like just be upfront and do it correctly and there's if, if you try to trick the system it's just going to pop you out. Yes, uh, that is absolutely the case, you know. It it is very hard to, you know, get yourself noticed and we're in our next segment we are going to talk more about strategy and going beyond the ATS system in order to get yourself noticed. But these very basic principles is follow the directions and make sure that every keyword is in the text of your resume. Those are the two things that I think are really critical. Right. 
So we've got a great resume. It's been sent in on an application, and now an interview is coming up. And that is truly the hardest step. It's difficult enough when we're face-to-face in an interview, but now it's on the phone, on a tablet, online in Zoom. Um, It's just um, almost impossible to come off looking great in a Zoom meeting, (laughs) needless to say. You know, you can't and you can't uh, show off those new shoes that you just bought for interviewing. So what tips do you have for our listeners on how to be effective in an interview, regardless of what technology is used or not used? Yes, that's a great question. And I will say this right up front. Prepare, prepare, prepare. And that's actually no different. You know, when you went to in-person interviews If you were really prepared, you knew who you were interviewing with. Mm -hmm. You knew a little bit about them. You could talk about the company beyond just the few tidbits that were on their website. And that hasn't changed a bit. That's still absolutely key. In fact, I think now it's even more important because you don't have that face-to-face contact in many cases and so it, you know, the better prepared you are for the interview, the more confident you're going to go into it, even if there are some glitches along the way or something. At least you know that you've done the very best you can to prepare. So here are some additional items that you really need to consider when preparing for that online interview. So if it's a Zoom or a WebEx or one of the one of the those programs. You want to make sure that before you get on the interview, you test out that program. If you, if you have an interview scheduled, no matter what the medium, anybody can download Zoom, but if you have an interview scheduled like in web apps or, or go to meeting, um, the, the interviewer should send you a link and say you can download, and you should absolutely download and test your webcam and your mic. So that before you get on that interview. And when you do that, then you'll you'll see some other things that you're like, hmm, okay. Because you're going to see in your webcam picture, okay, so what's behind me now? Is it cluttered? Does it look, you know, does it look <laughs> professional? How do I look? Okay, maybe, yeah, maybe I need to kind of clean myself up here a bit. Because... Yeah. Um, as you would dress professionally for an in-person interview, I really recommend that you dress professionally when you're in an online interview. So, All that, the way down to your toes. All the way down to your toes. <laughs> now, it's interesting because just this morning in one of my career coaching groups on LinkedIn, um, somebody mentioned that one of their clients had been asked to stand up. Right. And so it, it's, it's kind of yes. important. Yes. Yeah. So um, you want to be really mindful of external distractions. You know, we all know the Zoom joke mm-hmm. about the cat walking through the picture. Yes. So that's kids in the background. Kids in the background, <laughs> yes. you know, phones ringing, like my landline ringing when I'm, I'm, I'm on a Zoom call. And then finally, you want to make sure that you've closed all your other applications when you're on a virtual call so that they're not taking up bandwidth that you need to make that virtual call work. You know, right? You can't help it if your internet suddenly goes out, but you can certainly make the best possible use of the bandwidth that you have in order to not have things drop on you 
mm-hmm. and so that everybody can hear each other clearly. Now, I have gotten a couple of questions, and I'm kind of of two minds about this. Headset, no headset. Um, for me, a headset helps me just kind of focus where I am. But some people, you know, a headset can be uncomfortable, especially if you're on for a while. So that's something that you want to test out. If you can download Zoom and you can do all the practice you want with your friends and neighbors and just kind of get comfortable and see, you know, make that headset, no headset decision, get feedback from them about, okay, so how am I sounding? Um what do you think, you know, can you see anything in the in in this picture that shouldn't be there? Mm-hmm. Those types of things. So that that's a new a whole new part of preparation that you didn't have to do when you were on in-person interviews, but now it's really critical to having a successful virtual interview. One one of the things that happened, I had to get a new camera for my computer to do Zoom meetings. Didn't realize it had a really good microphone. But my um, monitor had a microphone, so I was getting that double feedback. So for me, the headset, whether you like it or not, is going to keep it to a clean call. Yes, that's true. So, yeah, it, it depends on your technology. You know, if you have a fairly new laptop, it's got that built-in mic and, and, mm-hmm. and camera. And that usually works pretty well. But, you know, that that headset can be a little bit extra. Right, but it's... But practice, because I didn't know I was getting that feedback. Yes. The other person did, and if they hadn't mentioned it, I wouldn't have known. Yes. So, yeah. so practice, practice, practice makes perfect. So, right. exactly. yep. Yep. Now, what do you think about the Zoom backgrounds that they have now? Do you think that ought to be used or really just do a natural back in, your, in, the, in the room you are? Um, I prefer the room that I'm in, and, mm-hmm. and depending on how old your technology is, those backgrounds may cause you to basically turn into a ghost. Mm. So you you want to be really careful with that. That's something, again, that you can try out when you're doing these practice things. Oh, here's a background, you know. Um, do I look good? Am I kind of dancing around the edges? Mm-hmm. You know, is my right. image kind right. of dancing right. around the edges? So right. all of that is pretty critical to having a good thing. And what I really recommend is that, yeah, you just make sure that you can set up in a spot where you do have a good internet connection and that it's, um, that, you know, you have a pretty neutral background. That's what I really recommend. So, Well, after the candidates have submitted resumes and application, maybe had the interview, uh, the follow-up, critical. And as we all know, it's near impossible to get to the hiring manager if everything is online. Some suggestions? Um, yeah. Um, I am a big advocate of pretty much standing up for yourself and making sure that you get contact information for everyone that you interview with. So if you're having a first even phone interview with the HR representative, you make sure that you get their email address. Hopefully you've had that back and forth with the um, with the um HR representative, you know, they're, they're setting this up via email. So you do have that contact information. When you go to the next stage and the um, HR representative says, well, I'm sending you along to the hiring manager, um, you want to make sure right then that you get that hiring manager's name and email and just say, you know, 
Um, I just want to make sure that everybody can communicate clearly. So could I please have the hiring manager's name and email? And anybody else that's going to be on that interview, if you're interviewing with a couple of people, make sure you get all of that information up front. I think that will save you a lot of time and effort in terms of of doing that. So, yeah, it is really hard um, to get that information just out in the public domain. You may be able to get it. Um, some from LinkedIn. Um, one of my career coaching colleagues has some tips and tricks, which I'm also going to include in my information about how to get get a hold of people and how to figure out what email address, what a likely email address for the person is. But if you can just ask for that information, get that information as you're in the process, that will save you a lot of time. Um, another strategy is, you know, LinkedIn is your, is your friend here. Sometimes you have a mutual connection or you're in a group with this person, and that's a handy way to follow up with them just through the LinkedIn messaging system. Your your uh, LinkedIn connection that your friend can maybe introduce you or get that information to you, or you, you may find that um, the person that you're interviewing with because you're probably in the same field. Maybe you've joined the same LinkedIn groups. And a LinkedIn tip that I love to share is if you're in a LinkedIn group, you can message anybody in that LinkedIn group, no matter what your degree of connection or no connection is oh, with them. Oh, that's good. That's a great point. So, yeah, you really want to do that. And I have some more tips about this in, in the document that I'm going to put up here. So. This is an incredible amount of information, Sharon. Thank you so much. And But there's just one more item that I'd like to ask you about. So candidates, regardless really of any age, often have difficulty in their job search because they really lack the confidence to know that they truly are the best candidate that that employer is going to see. And they have to be able to portray that positivity so the employer sees that positivity. Um, do you have some tips for listeners on how they can um, reach that level of self-confidence in this job search process? Yes. My biggest suggestion or strategy is for anybody in job search is to get past the I was just doing my job mindset. That's really hard. Um, most people don't think of themselves as exceptional. Um, and... Um, Modesty is actually not a virtue here. You never want to exaggerate, and heaven forbid, you never want to lie. But you want to present all of your experience in the most positive light. So really, what you're doing is you're thinking about every time that you have gone above and beyond in any of your past positions, even if nobody noticed it. So you figured out something that was causing you a hiccup, and you fixed it, and maybe nobody else noticed, but it sure made you a lot more productive. That's an above and beyond. That Even if it doesn't quite go on your resume, um, you can write down lots of stories. And actually, it's a great tip to write down stories that you could share during interviews, you know, right. about because you know that the interviewer is going to ask you that dreaded Tell me about a time when. And, you know, the more stories you have about that above and beyond, the better off you'll be. So really, 
don't think of yourself just as a worker bee. Think of yourself as a competent human being, which is what you really are. And uh, really highlight, first of all, to yourself, what is my value to the employer? Where can I be helpful? Now, where have I gone above and beyond? And answer those questions and answer them repeatedly. And I will put up, uh, attached to the document, I'll put up what I call my 20 questions list, which is basically a list of questions that helps jog your memory about where you really have gone above and beyond and done exceptional work. So I will add that to to my tips. You know, the very first thing that you mentioned is that candidates have to focus on how they meet an employer's needs. Some people say to reflect how you can fix the employer's pain point. Same yes. kind of thing. So really now it's we've come full circle. It, it You're not on a soapbox patting yourself on the back. What you're doing in reaching that level of self-confidence is just being able to easily portray how you meet their needs and fix their pain point. So it's not just a pat on the back. This is real information and that's how you make yourself the best candidate they're going to see. Exactly. If 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 they and actually because most candidates really don't seem to grasp how critical this is, mm-hmm. if a, if an employer sees sees a resume where you explain at the top sort of highlights of fixing them or helping them go beyond and then you provide some detail in in the body of your resume, that's going to stand out because most people, unfortunately, it's really kind of sad. Most people, unfortunately, don't get that far right. with where they are. So so the, this message is critical in an interview. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess as a tip that I would provide job seekers is, you know, your resume got you into that interview. But if you're not closing the deal in the interview, go back and think back about your interviewing skills and get someone to help you make sure that you are portraying yourself in that positive light as the best candidate. Exactly. So, and then one other item that I tell people to do, and this this seems almost like, well, duh, but um, double and triple check everything that you send and that you put out there, like your LinkedIn profile. I see typos on LinkedIn profiles all the time. I'm like, ah. Um, And have somebody else proofread, Mm -hmm. if at all possible. That second set of eyes is is very critical. So that helps. You know, if you put detail-oriented as one of your soft skills, (laughs) (laughs) and then there are typos, mm, well, that doesn't... And we land very well. <laughs> I haven't updated my profile in LinkedIn, but if I remember correctly, you can put it in Word yes. and then copy paste. So Word's going to catch all those typos, yeah. Unless it's a there there kind of thing, yeah. And even yeah. So that's why that's why that second set of real eyes is so important because that will catch the there right. there mm-hmm. things. Yeah, exactly. Sharon, thanks so much for joining us on this episode. This is going to be episode number one of two. So uh, the second one coming up very shortly. Yes. And so we, the, we're going to go from job search tips to job search strategies right. in our next episode. Exactly. So that'll be wonderful. Thank you so much for coming with us. 
It's been fun today, and I'm looking forward to sharing more about how you can get the job that you deserve in our next episode. 